For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Grainger.com, or just stop by. Granger For the ones who get it done. We ended up getting the M2 Pro Mac Mini and the M2 Max 14-inch. But like the base level oh, nice. M2 Max that you can configure. Um, and for, for what purpose? Like what's it, how, how is it going to be used? Like what made you go pro instead of staying baseline? So I just like that we're jumping right into it. So, all right, welcome to the episode. Uh, we have... <laughs> I don't want to. I don't want to offend any other guests, but we were just nerding out before we even. St- well, uh, Tyler was trying to figure out his, his camera setup, and he's got a new camera that he was working on. And I was just about ready to start the whole show and say, "Forget about the Macs. Let's talk about your camera setup." Uh, but I think everybody else would want to talk about the Macs, so unfortunately, we have to cater <laughs> to the audience. But one day, I mean, there's a lot of both. Yeah. Well, hopefully, you know, sometime we'll have have time to talk about cameras because I spend a lot of time talking about them. I have a lot of thoughts, but. Uh, yeah, obviously well, Macs are the, are the big news right now. A little foreshadowing. We will eventually get into uh, some iPhone 15 camera stuff, but that'll be later on in this episode. Uh, but yeah, Tyler Stallman, thank you so much for joining us. Um, I know it was short notice, but we are talking about the new Macs. And you just asked me, what purpose are we going to be uh, using these Macs? So basically for us, it was for testing. Um, but which one am I keeping? I, I use a Mac Studio. Um and honestly, I did my video on the M2 Pro Mac Mini, and I am fairly confident. And my time was limited, so I would love to hear more from you about this. But um, I feel very confident that with the 1299 M2 Pro Mac Mini, I could do everything that I needed to do to run the YouTube channel for Mac Rumors. I, do you feel the same way? Yeah, and I bet you could actually get away with less too. So the, the right. one that I've been review, my my review unit has been the the base model, which usually when I'm working with Apple, um, if they're going to send me something to review, I'm like, just give me the best of the best because I'm talking to filmmakers and photographers and people that do production for a living, right? So they're really relying on their machines. But um, what I really found interesting about this Mac Mini is that at those lowest prices, it is really usable. Like obviously uh, Apple's always tried to hit interesting entry price points like, you know, $999 for uh, in a uh, MacBook Air, for example, or, 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 you know, previous Mac minis, whatever they were. But it always meant like, okay, that's the price they say, but you can't really spend that much because you've got to spec it up to actually have it usable. Otherwise, you're only browsing the web and writing Word documents. And now we're in this generation where those entry price points mean you can edit 4K video with multi-track and do like produce a full podcast, do basic streaming, Photoshop and Lightroom are going to run fine. Everything works on these machines and that that's new and totally blows me away. So one thing that I, I didn't get a chance to test yet, we'll stick with the Mac mini for now. Um, I had the base model M one Mac mini and for a while we used that for, uh, you know, for this podcast, uh, the way this room is set up, there's a screen right here and everything's hooked up. And uh, that's what I would use primarily just for the podcast. And I think it was a combination of Bluetooth issues and it could be just from per- performance standpoint. But um, when using Ecamm and having headphones, having the roadcaster plugged in, I actually had to get rid of the roadcaster for now. Um, once we move into a new setup, I'm going to hook it all back up and use a different computer for that. But I think it was just a combination of I'm guessing it was the Bluetooth issues. Um, it would eventually cut out. Like I'd have to stop the recording. The recording would actually uh, tell me that it failed and would just stop on its own. Um, and so that's where it leads me to be performance issues. But I, I noticed that if I just took out the AirPods, it didn't do that. And so I wondered um, with yeah. Bluetooth, what is it, 5.3 now? Um, did you do you notice any of the common Bluetooth issues that, numbers, people, that people have ran into last year or two years ago? I- I mean, I just haven't really run into, uh, yeah, I haven't run into a lot of serious Bluetooth issues. I think maybe because I don't, I don't lean that hard on it. Like AirPods are the main, and I guess my, but I'm, I'm, yeah, I guess my 
keyboard stuff, but no, I'm using like the Logitech uh, adapter as well. So I, I think I'm just not leaning hard enough on Bluetooth to maybe encounter any of this and AirPods. Uh, I, don't even, I don't know how they're communicating like they, they have their own magic. So um, I haven't run into those specific issues. Things, I, I mean, I, I definitely ran into some like real bugs on the M1 uh, Studio in Final Cut, for example, that were like, th there was like, not just performance issues, obviously the machine could handle it because the review unit I was using is the M1 Ultra and it would start chugging in weird places and slow down in, in places that my M1 Max would not. So there, cl there clearly are these little pockets of bugs that would kind of rob you of what you were hoping for from that performance. So I, I encountered them in different places, um, but no, I, I, nothing specifically with Bluetooth, uh, but I wasn't using the M1 Mac mini either. Just uh, this, this is the first Mac mini I've ever used actually. So for me, the I think, well, I suppose for, for a lot of us, the thing that's really interesting is this M2 Pro machine in particular, because it is, it's offering um, performance from a Mac mini that we just haven't really been able to get before. Um, and this sort of, it puts the Mac Mini in an interesting place and an interesting price point compared to the Mac Studio, particularly uh, the M1 Max version of that machine. And even in the future when that maybe is an M2 Max, um, I suppose the, the question I have is, how do you think that that, that is looking in the lineup now? Um, how do you think that, who, who do you think that the M1 Max Mac Studio really makes sense for? when you have this M2 Pro machine that really is offering really a very comparable level of performance and you're only losing, what, a couple of Thunderbolt ports, the SD card slot, but that's for $700 less. Um, so what, what are your mm. thoughts about that, Tyler? Yeah, I mean, my thoughts are it's a very strange crossover. And um, I, yeah, I, I mean, I think we're in a place where anybody that is price sensitive, meaning, you know, a, a company isn't buying it for you and you, you don't have to just, you, you know, there, there are definitely, especially in production environments, there's definitely situations where it's like, you know, just, just tell us the price and that's what it's going to be. But that's when you're working in, you know, you're not a solo operator. You're not doing things the way that all of us are, you know, most online creators don't have that luxury. And, um, for, for people that are, you know, see $700 as a big chunk of their computer investment, that would be hard to justify. I, uh, instantly, as soon as just reviewing the the Mac Mini, just doing my tests, I really missed those front uh, USB ports as well as the SD card reader. Um, it really kind of makes the desk a little messier. Um, so it is significant for somebody doing photo and video production. But um, I mean, yeah, when you when you say seven hundred dollars, I didn't do the pricing myself, so I haven't seen um, like wh when do you ex end up paying that studio premium yet. Um, but performance-wise, I, I, I don't think there's a lot of scenarios where you would choose the studio, uh, you know, unless you're going all the way up to the Ultra. Yeah, and, and I think that we're seeing this in the benchmarks as well, because with that M2 Pro machine, it is outperforming the M1 Max Mac Studio in single core and in multi-core. It's only really when you're leveraging the GPU that you're getting that better performance. So I think that creates a little bit of a an interesting conundrum for people that are actually considering these these machines at this time. Um, and I suppose a lot of the, the question is how long Apple goes now before updating the Mac Studio, uh, because the, the natural time really, I suppose, would have been now or roundabout now to prevent this, this, this overlap. Well, and of course, it's going to get a lot more confusing once whatever happens with the Mac Pro that, you know, <laughs> they've... They've said it's happening. Like they've si they've signed. They've said we're getting one. So otherwise, I think a lot of us would be like, "Oh no, it's just the Mac Studio. That's what we're getting. That's what it's going to be." But um, you know, since it, it seems like they're working on it, uh, it's hard to imagine. It's both hard to imagine what a Mac Pro would be right now, but even harder to see a Mac Mini, Mac Studio, and Mac Pro is a is a very crowded lineup potentially for for somebody that's in that market. Um, so uh, I, I don't know. Yeah, it's it's really easy to recommend a Mac Mini right now, and it is. It just got a little, quite a bit harder to to, rec to know who the Mac Studio is for, especially with an impending Mac Pro that w we don't know what it's going to offer, or how it's going to differentiate itself. But but also before we go like way into the episode, I'll, I'll also disclaim that like a lot of w when I'm talking about Mac products and stuff. I avoid rumors a lot. So the fact that I'm uh, talking to the Mac rumors guys <laughs> is, is funny for me right now. But like, I kind of like going into keynotes with no spoilers. 
Um, obviously, I have a sense of like what's coming up and stuff, but I I definitely don't follow every leak, and I, uh, I'm not. I'm I'm much more interested in what was just released rather than what might be released in the future. So I'll be at somewhat of a disadvantage to you guys. So you don't want me to tell you everything that's going to happen? Because <laughs> it no, uh, yeah, no. Keep, keep it a surprise. I was gonna say because I love this job and everything, but it ruins all events. Like nothing is a surprise. Yeah. Well, no. This event, this this the spoiling of this little announcement was a great example of of taking some of the joy out of it. I feel like because we found out <laughs> one day ahead of time. Oh, it was yeah. such a small advance notice that uh, I you know I don't think that really changed anybody's buying schedule. It didn't allow people to make a different that like that's the argument for for rumors. I think is like you're going to invest a lot of money, so knowing what's coming up is very helpful sometimes. But this wasn't what happened. We just found out like, you know, hours before effectively. And so then the announcement came and I was like, oh, well, saw that coming. It's like, well, but it's actually very surprising. Like this is a weird, this is a weird thing. So See, I um, think the opposite yeah. because uh, I thought it was nice to like only have 24 hours of notice because while we were pretty sure what <laughs> right. was going to happen, it was like, ah, oh, but there could be something else we didn't know. And like, I think the HomePod was a little bit of a surprise too, even though like yeah, yeah total presence yeah because because like i think german even right before it happened was like yeah it's 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 coming but like he didn't say it was coming tomorrow and then it literally pro like just the next day it was like oh yeah here's the new home pot now whether or not that was exciting in terms of the product itself different story but uh you know <laughs> right but yeah anyways um back to the mac pro or i'm sorry the this is the worst part about all these names exactly i can't <laughs> I can't. I think I just gave up. And in one like yesterday's video, I'm like, listen, I'm gonna mess up, and you're just gonna have to deal with it. I'm talking about these two machines, and if I say anything else, just ignore me. Like I, I, I don't know how to like keep it all in my brain. But okay, so the M2 Pro Mac Mini was what I had, but you have the base model M2 Mac Mini. Have you been able to test those timelines to see if they like, if that machine can handle your your workflow outside of just a basic YouTube video? So I have a bit of a like a stress test timeline that I've been opening up on kind of every machine lately that um, it's not a real use case. It's mostly a, a mixture of footage that I know can stress out machines for various reasons and then stacked layers of plugins, uh, mostly motion VFX because, you know, they write things well for Final Cut Pro um, and, and then also Resolve. But so in, in Final Cut, uh, what I found was that the... 4k footage of any flavor was totally fine like absolutely no slowdowns unless you start really kind of over processing it um, and that's including you know basic uh, transform LUTs and like a film emulation LUT just throwing two LUTs on there corrections nothing nothing happens um, and then I also tried some uh, 6k HEVC footage that was fine but I did run into slowdowns starting with 8k uh, H.265 footage from the Canon R5 that uh, would not play back smoothly in quality mode in Final Cut. And then as well, obviously, 8K RAW didn't play back. But what was interesting, what was great is that the 6K Red RAW did play back without any hiccups at all. And Red RAW is much better optimized than Canon RAW Lite. Like, yeah. it depends which flavor of RAW you're working with. So obviously, I think ProRes RAW would also play back well. So that's good to know. I mean, 6K raw works fine. I don't, I don't have any 8K raw in, in that timeline. So, um, but I have a suspicion that that would also work. So things coming from the Red Raptor um, would probably also, it feels like they'd play back. So it, it, as soon as you start stacking anything, if you're obviously doing any kind of noise removal, anything like that, can't handle it. It is, it is too slow, but you can you can kind of work with any footage and you may have to just like your, your finishing step, you may have to switch down to, either performance playback or then you would need a proxy workflow if you're really going to be intensive about it. Have you um, have you noticed anything uh, with the SSDs? You know, it's not really a controversy anymore, but the base models do only have the one NAND chip there. Um, so you, you, it does slow it down. But I mean, even with other ones that I've used, I personally haven't noticed anything crazy uh, during my day-to-day -day work. But have, have you had any issues with that, especially with working with those larger files? Well, so that's the one step above base that I, I did get, and that's the awesome. 512. They didn't give drive, you the 256. Which, which, so I actually, and and I I don't know if they were paying attention to what I um, asked for, but when they said they were going to send me something, first it was like send me the bottom of the barrel baseline, okay. and then I 
thought a second later, I'm like, wait a minute, no, let's create the drive because that's, I, I suspected this was going to happen again. And the thing is, is I would recommend this one upgrade sure, kind of no matter what, but not even for the reason that most people talk about. So when this started being like, say like a controversy, um, I, I felt like it was overblown. Um, and thinking about it more, it, it's, I think it's like, it, I, I get why a lot of people talked about it and it's important to know, but if you're really buying the absolute base Mac, uh, your priorities are probably quite different from mine and extreme performance may not be the, the first thing you're thinking about. And I actually think what slows you down more with the 256 gig internal drive is just managing the files. I mean, just my yeah. downloads folder will start to balloon past that. Like I, the apps on my computer will take up most of that space and you'll be operating in a very narrow margin of free disk space all the time. And I, I just don't think that's healthy. So that's the biggest reason uh, that I, I just don't think anybody should lean that heavily on their external drives. Um, so that's that's the first reason to upgrade to 512. And then obviously, in addition to that, you're going to get the faster disk space. So I did uh, have that one bump, which is $200 more. And I think everyone should. So speaking of upgrades, um, at what point would you say it's worth upgrading the memory? That is a good question. So, I mean, I've done quite a bit of, uh, you know, editing full YouTube videos on the, um, with just eight gigs of RAM on the M1. Um, and I did a couple client projects as well. Uh, there's, you know, it's, it's one of those, those things where, like I, like I said earlier, that you, what's amazing is that you, you can edit it because before you, you just couldn't do it, right? Yeah. You couldn't even open the files. So it's, now more a matter of like how long are you willing to wait for certain things playback will be there um for you know any sort of standard 4k workflow any photography work at this point which has become a challenge in my review videos actually is that i've always talked about it like from a photographer and filmmaker perspective that's kind of my thing the photography tests are getting really boring because there's not much you can't do anymore like the, yeah. the things that a photographer is going to run into are like you, you know if you're tethering and like offloading a lot of 50 megapixel photos quickly and how fast can it keep up like you know can it keep up with the buffer and it's like these kind of edge use cases even on base models so the, the photography world is just handled so well at this point that's why i've been talking about video so much more and also starting to test ai more because I think we'll have some interesting use cases with uh, on machine AI running, and it definitely stresses any of these machines out. So I think that's where all the most interesting new benchmarks are going to be. So um, I think my problem is like whenever I try to recommend which one to get to people, like I, my thing personally, I feel like you, you definitely need at least five twelve. I used to always tell people like. I don't think you need to worry about that. The SSD is, you know, just get external, you're fine. And then I have come into that issue where I'm just constant, just random day-to-day -day files, nothing to do with video editing. I am running into yeah. the, I have low system memory and, and or uh, storage. And I'm just like, okay, this is annoying. I need to up. So now I've just been baseline a terabyte. Do not go, I don't go more than that. And I definitely don't go less. I feel like 512 is pushing it, but definitely get away from the 256 if you can. So when you start to do that, and then I, and then I, you know, just for me personally, I'm like, all right, let's go up to 16 gigs. I don't think you need much more than that. So when you price that out, it's what, 9.99, I believe. Um, and then you kind of get into the is ballooning it? That's still thing. That's great. It is, it <laughs> is great. Forgot, that's, that, well, that that's, great. that's, that's 512 yeah. and 16 gigs. And that's still great. Sure. And then if, yeah. but then I, and then I start to think, well, well, if you just go to 1299, you can get the M2 Pro. And that's where I draw the line. I draw it right there. But like, that's where people are always like, well, if you wait and wait and wait, or if you get a little bit, a little bit, they're just trying to get you to keep going up and up. And I think the line is somewhere between that 999 and 1299 for me personally. What do you, what do you think? Yeah. No, no, I think that's a really sweet, sweet spot. If you're, if you're price, price sensitive, but hungry for performance, yeah, 16 gigs and 512. That's an appropriate balance. You're going to have to lean on external disks, obviously. And I, th I think it's sort of weird how, um, so, you know, th there's a, a lot of discussion about these internal drive speeds. And it's like, you know, like it's really going to slow it down. And that really matters for your system files, right? So that's why you need a big enough disk. So you've got enough extra space so that, you know, having a full SSD isn't slowing you down and that you're um, not running out of, you, you know, you're not constantly deleting things, but 
what happens if you have a smaller drive is also that you're constantly plugging in what are much slower USB drives all the time. Like, I don't think most people have a stack of large Thunderbolt SSDs kicking around. You know, personally, I'm editing even like the 8K and 6K stuff. I'm working from USB-C SSDs, uh, I usually use the SanDisk ones, which are way slower than like any sort of internal or even Thunderbolt. And it isn't a bottleneck. That doesn't slow me down. They, they are still performant enough. So I think that extreme speed matters for your system files. All your applications should be installed on something that fast. You don't need to be accessing video or photo files that quickly because uh, that's just not usually the bottleneck. Hartley, I need to know because you have drastically different workflows than us. And I think people are... I don't know. I don't know where what our what our listeners are at in terms of like how they use their machines. I'm guessing not everyone is a video editor, a photographer, uh, you know, and they're probably not doing any kind of production. So they might be more in line with your idea. What do you, what do you what do you think would be the sweet spot, and, and which machine would you pick? Um, no, I would I would agree with exactly what you've said, Dan, um, because I I do think that. Um, eight gigabytes of memory for an Apple Silicon machine for a lot of users isn't quite enough. Um, I don't think you need to be a professional to be hitting a ceiling on eight gigabytes of memory. And of course, macOS is so good at memory optimization that you don't really feel it a lot of the time, but that's going to be eating into your storage um, as well. If you have enough tabs open and uh, you know, you're, you're, not, you're not doing anything too crazy, but you're, you're still going to be um, you know, using memory swap at some point there. So I think that uh, 512 and 16 gigabytes is a, is a good benchmark. I mean, that's actually what I configured for my um, for my M1 Mac Mini. Because um, I, I, of course, that was I didn't have the option of a of a, an M2 Pro or an M1 Pro um, when that was first around, and I, I haven't had the, the most fantastic experience with that machine. But I do think the the specs I chose were right for someone that is not dealing with video um, and is just effectively just really pushing it with browser tabs ultimately. Um, yeah, but that's hey, what, that's what most people do. Especially if you're on Chrome, we we know the memes and the jokes like having a bunch of Chrome tabs going to set your computer on fire. But I feel the same way with Safari too. I mean, how many times have I looked into like the top where your battery is, especially on a laptop, and it's like this is eating a ton of you know memory and and you and and power, and it's just like it's Safari all the time. So I mean, yeah, especially with you, you're you're balancing yeah. a bunch of different tabs open and you're writing in a in obsidian do you write in obsidian i know we've been talking about that app uh yeah but obsidian's pretty obsidian's pretty light it's when you're using you know wordpress and you have like 15 wordpress tabs open yeah and then on top of your other like 100 tabs that's when it, it does start to to test things when you've then also got you know 20 applications open sure even if they're even if it's not heavy it's just that is going to be using the memory yeah, yeah, you guys are right in kind of are reminding me of what there's there's the two angles of like you can kind of do the benchmarks in a bit of a silo sometimes and it's like look Final Cut's doing great because yeah. nothing else is running. But the right. reality is, yeah, I mean I've got I've got fifteen <clears throat> tabs open while I'm editing in Final Cut a lot of the time. And so it's mm -hmm. you know, how disciplined are you about keeping the applications you're not working with closed in the background? Um so yeah, that that, that definitely ties into the like, can you get by on less RAM is like, well, Right, the type of person that leaves a lot of stuff open because if you are, you know, well, yeah, you're going to need more. So, and it's not like you're you're trying to mislead people, but like, you know, Apple gives you the product and you have about three days. What? Let's see, uh, if our rumors were correct, you got it on thir Wednesday, and you had Wednesday, Thursday, no, Friday. Yeah, I, I think I got it later than that. Okay, yeah. So I know some people might have gotten it Wednesday or Thursday, and if you got it later than that, that's even worse. You that basically means you had to test it on the weekend, and you had to get it out yep. by nine a.m. Monday, this past Monday. And so, I mean, you don't have a lot of time to make that computer your own, uh, get it to where you've loaded a bunch of crap on there from the downloads, and you know, it, like it's not your laptop, it's not your Mac Mini, it's not the way you've had it. You've been using it for at least a couple of months, and so. That's when you can get an idea. If they give you at least a few weeks to be able to test that out, I feel like it's a better representation when you start to do those benchmarks than when it's like, this is a fresh computer. Of course, it's going to be super fast and on top of everything. But it's not It's not your fault. This is just what we're working with. So it's kind of like you take yeah. the benchmarks and everything with a grain of salt. 
Yeah, and that the the way that the you know algorithm machine works is that like releasing those later videos of like you know six months of working on the yep. MacBook Pro or whatever, it's like they don't get the same views, right? It, yeah. But they're more accurate. They're more. They're kind of mm -hmm. more informative and more interesting. It's really what people should be watching. But all the attention is there on day one, so you need to get the day one video out, even though you know it's going to be missing a lot of the context. I think a lot of people don't appreciate how much time reviewing each computer is just setting it up. I mean, a good example is like just to run my final cut tests, I need to install all of the plugins that that project is using and install all my LUTs. And yeah, just getting it to that point where it can open the same projects, that's like half the time. Yeah. And when, when so. you're not working under an embargo, you have to beat everyone else that picked up the laptop that or the Mac mini that wasn't able to yeah. get it ahead of time. And I mean, you're right. We're working with like, I only have, I have to get it out that day. So yesterday I got a Mac mini and I set it up. I ran benchmarks all in a day and I, you know, I'm not complaining or bragging, but it's hard to do all of that. I didn't eat. I didn't take a break. There was no time. And so, yeah, I mean, like, there's a disclaimer with those videos. Like, those are just raw benchmarks, fresh out of the box. Take it for what you will. Some of it's going to be a little accurate. But, like, over time, that's going to degrade. And so you really should watch the videos that Tyler puts out over the next couple of months where he goes back and visits them because that is going to be the most accurate representation. Or, or moments like this, like, when the new thing comes out, we start to revisit the last year's model yes. that's kind of when all you, you hear all the dirt of like oh yeah there was bugs in final cut and you know bluetooth had this issue because <clears throat> we didn't discover it until six months in or eight months in so yeah. um you know it's it it's it takes so long to get that context and it's definitely like you say it's the grain of salt that you need to have when you're watching all early reviews because there's just there's no other way to factor it in so i agree um my other question is at what point do we do we start overvaluing the Mac Mini because we realize that like, you know, my brother the other day was like, hey, I think I want to get this new Mac Mini. And I'm like, okay, cool. Do you have a good monitor, keyboard, mouse that you want to use? And he's like, well, I was thinking about getting a new monitor with it. Like I want like a fresh new setup. And I think a lot of people kind of want that. And then they start to look at the price. And then at what point am I just kind of like, well, what about just getting the M2 Pro MacBook Pro. Like, I just feel like you're already pushing yourself towards that price. And now you have a, let's be honest, you're probably not going to find a better display um, than the MacBook Pro, unless you're going studio display. And even then, you're still not getting the, the whole refresh rate and everything. So, I mean, at what point in your, both of you, this is a question for both of you, do you guys start to think, okay, well, we're bumping up the Mac Mini. Now I'm thinking the MacBook Pro might be better for this person. I've had to think about this um, lately because when I when I, I write um, a lot of the buyers guides that we do on Mac Rumors, yep. which means I have to sort of evaluate a lot of these positions that um, uh, different customers take. For me, um, I think that if you're looking at that M2 Pro uh, Mac Mini and you're going to pair it with a brand new Studio Display, um, then I think that's good. I think that's that's a good deal, um, especially if you're if you're the sort of customer that needs knows you need a desktop Mac, and you know that effectively you would have been maybe been a Mac Studio customer, and you're sort of dialing it back a little bit from that, and you're you're treating it as making a saving. But if you are looking at the the, the baseline M2 model, and you're going to pair it with um, you know the Studio Display, which is what about one thousand seven hundred dollars? I mean that that is an enormous amount more cash um, just yeah. for that display. And then if you if you cheap out on the display too much, um, I, I would also I would also question that as well. And I think that if you what you have to do is you have to it's obviously different for everyone. So you have to you have to spec it up and you have to look at um, exactly what memory, what storage, and then you need to compare that with what you can get for a laptop. Because something like the MacBook Air, especially that they still have the M1 MacBook Air, that's still a great machine um, for under a thousand dollars. And it's just it's all in one. So if you're something like a student, you probably shouldn't be looking at the Mac Mini because by the time you add a display to that, that is going to get very pricey, and it isn't it isn't portable. You've still got to buy your keyboard. Um, it's just you, you're losing a lot of convenience, um, and that that has to that has to be bared in mind. Um, but I would have thought for for companies for educational contexts, um, and if you are if you are determined to have a, a desktop specific Mac, maybe you already have a display you like, maybe you're upgrading sure. from a 2018 Mac mini or something, then that's where it Then it's really a no brainer for those people. 
Yeah. yeah. But if you're going to if you're going to be buying it with a, a one thousand seven hundred dollar display, um, sure. you you need to think carefully about how you're pricing that. Um, I mean, I'd actually say you know that, that, that it's Mac Studio that shows it that you can. The, the the M uh, the M one Ultra Max Studio is three ninety nine, I believe, um, and then if you add thirty nine ninety nine, I wish it was three ninety nine. Uh, oh yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah right. um, <laughs> uh, then you 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 know you're pushing near toward five thousand um, dollars, which which is an enormous amount of money, um, and you, it kind of creeps up on you. Um, so yeah. I think oh hey, I just spent I five grand today. Well, I'm glad to see we do have a few more options coming after CES. Um, mm-hmm. the, I, who announced them? I already forget. I just remember seeing that uh, there's two new 6K options that we've really been lacking. So, you know, I think a lot of people, if they're going to pick up a Mac Mini to save money, will probably be pairing it with some mediocre Small. 4K monitor that isn't going to perform great. Uh, I do have, there's one machine I, I kind of run in the background sometimes that is using a 4K. And I do sometimes forget that it's not, looking correct like it <clears throat> sorry it does look it does look bad <laughs> the you know the, when you it, stare at it close enough that the, the pixel issues are, are visible but once you're working on it for a few hours you can also it can slip away so if you really need to save money you you can with a cheaper display and then still have like a mac experience um but it's obviously it's not ideal and this also all does remind me that i still miss the 27 inch imac even though we have all these substitutes now I've worked at a bunch of creative jobs in like big offices with tons of designers and programmers and all of those situations historically, the whole office was a 27 inch IMAX. I mean, like that's, that was the default of what you buy most people uh, unless you needed a laptop, Um, but you could always get more power in in the IMAX. So that was kind of where most people started off. Um, And obviously we're in a different world now that's shifting, but it's still weird to me that that is, missing and i i don't know there's so many products now in the mac lineup that it's almost hard for me to argue like oh no we need to bring back one more but it does it does still seem like a whole even though we have this great mac mini we have the max we have all these things and still missing that 27 inch imac the imac pro was like one of the most perfect machines in my opinion i thought it was so good mm-hmm. i used it for everything yeah. i had no like thoughts about even remotely upgrading to anything else i'm like nah this is still really good and i had the base model like the cheapest one you could get and it was perfect but now i'm sitting here i i agree i i want a new imac i think that would be like that would be what i would and that's what i actually push people towards even more now like when i was telling you about that my brother like i i literally told them like here's what you could get and if this is what you're specking it out keep in mind you're going to want a monitor and if you want something that looks nice why don't you just look at an iMac or a MacBook and if you he specifically wanted a desktop so I said well look at the 24 inch iMac like that's probably good enough for what you want to do um I don't know we we all live in this bubble too so it's really hard I know there's plenty of people out there like I've got an old monitor from 15 years ago it's fine and then that's perfect then you can get whatever works for you but if you're Getting this specifically for what we are thinking about, which would be content creation, because that's what we do, uh, you don't want to skimp out on the monitor because that is also important for the quality of the work that you're doing. So, if I put myself in my college days, like mindset of like you know every dollar I need to stretch, um, I mean I, I really can see a situation though where it's like you you know there's some pretty half decent like six hundred dollar four K monitors that like. They're going to show you basically what's happening. Your color grades may not be completely accurate. Obviously, you're not going to have HDR, but most people don't master for HDR anyway. Um, you know, a, a cheap, totally mediocre 4K monitor can actually do 90% of what needs to be done. It just won't be as pleasurable of an experience. So yeah. for people really looking to save, I, I do think it's still an option. I'm going to grab water while you guys. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, I... I agree with that. I just think the overall like theory or theme of all of these new Macs is that there's something there for you and it's going to be just fine. You just need to figure out what it is that you need in terms of, you know, what what's the most important to you. If you work with a lot of cloud files and you probably don't need to upgrade your storage, I still would advocate for 512 no matter what you're doing, but um yeah, I mean, you can just kind of pick and choose your There's so many options in a world where 
I never thought we would say that because Apple doesn't usually give a lot of options for things. But now it's just like over the last however many years, there's so many options that you're bound to find something that could fit your workflow. And of course, do you guys find you. it harder or easier to recommend a machine right now? I, I, I feel like it's yeah, yeah, because there's so many. Significantly I, I harder. I do feel like I feel like it's a little easier because at least all the options are good now. Sure. Whereas if I think back to like maybe five years ago, it was like. I don't know, like, you know, if, if you happen to need an iMac Pro, there's a great answer for you out there. But, you know, when you're looking at the MacBook Pros, like, I don't know, all of them are a little bit compromised. You're paying a bit too much for this and that. Um, so at least now there's kind of no bad options. Like whatever you get, it's, it's going to do most of what you need. But it's definitely more complicated. I think that we'll be in a, a stronger position at the end of this year um, because th these anomalies that we're seeing with things like the Mac Studio and to a lesser extent, or maybe even a, maybe even a greater extent, the iMac um, being left with the M1 chip, um, these things will have been evened out by the end of the year. And we should see a lineup that scales um, with price and performance in a, in a bit more of a logical way um, because I, I, would, I would struggle with some of the Macs like uh, the M1 iMac and like the M1 Max um, Mac Studio to, to recommend those right now. Um, and at the end of the year, we may well be looking at um, a new iMac Pro as well as an M3 iMac um, and even a, a brand new 15-inch MacBook Air. So we're, we're going to be sort of reorienting to, um, you know, the lineup isn't done yet. The, the lineup is uh, very much still in progress. Um, and I think that it's just slowly starting to fall into place. You guys have followed Apple for a long time. Do you feel like there's ever a time where the, the whole lineup in one moment is like this snapshot of what's available all makes sense? Like each category like this, this fits where it should and everything is segmented properly. Because I always feel like we're always, we're always like waiting for it to like, oh, everything's going to slot into place. The upgrade cycle is running smoothly. And it maybe it happens in narrower categories. Sometimes the iPhone is like, oh, all the iPhone's available right now. I, I, I know how they fit. But that typically we're all there's always this weird overlap between generations yeah i, I would agree I, I, i'm trying to I think, think of something right now where it fits and i yeah. i honestly like i could make an argument for each one being like well i don't know if yeah, i would get it's, that it's the max the issue because if you're looking at a small well, the ipads too yeah, well um ipads are yeah. kind of messy yeah. The iPad now, but if you were to go back a couple of years to the iPad, when you just had maybe the the iPad Air, um, the iPad Mini, and the iPad Pro, that kind yeah. of, and, and obviously the entry level, that's that sort of makes sense. Um, and you know, I think we can see it with with other um, with other product lineups. But the Mac, there's so many of them, and there's just so, and, and the way that you can you can customize the configurations, um, and the way that people are so particular about external displays and um, ports in, in a way that they just aren't with other devices means that we, we, we do never quite get there, but we, I think we will. I think, I, I think my, that's my positive takeaway is that I, I do think we will, whether it's this year or early next year, um, especially with new form factors coming out and, um, new Macs entering, it would mean it'd be the, it'll be the busiest Mac lineup in, in about what, 20 years. Um, but I think that, um, it sh should be the most, the most sort of appropriately scaled and priced. And your issue will be choosing between devices that are a little bit too similar, rather than not having um, having having something to you know hit every spot. All right, so that would have been a good transition, but I I feel like we didn't talk a whole lot about the uh, M2 Pro and M2 Max, which uh, for the uh, MacBook Pros. Which I mean, do you have anything of I don't know anything that you've found recently that you haven't stated in any of your videos that might be like a like a huge moment or is it kind of just kind of status quo it's a good upgrade uh it's a but don't you know don't upgrade from your m1 pro m1 max kind of deal yeah i mean definitely don't upgrade from, no. from a solid <laughs> m1 um it's you know i i don't i don't even know if there's many people out there considering it um, i don't think so but yeah you, you know it was pretty tough to discover the differences and, and i did so fortunately in my review, there will, because there, this is the challenge is you're going into a review, you're like, oh, please don't just be exactly what everybody's expecting because like it, it's kind of stale otherwise if it's like, oh yeah, you, if you saw the keynote, that's what the computer is. Um, the one surprise that I, I had, which is in my, in my review is um, just seeing Final Cut playback with a huge stack of different effects being applied. 
that I could play back footage on the M2 that couldn't be played back on the M1. And those are both Mac's processors spec very similarly. Um, so, you know, that, that was really nice. But, I mean, there, there weren't a ton of surprises. One I was hoping for is that, uh, like, result. DaVinci Resolve has quite a few things. Like it's really well optimized, it much better than Premiere, but does have bottlenecks, like things that are just so intensive that uh, it slows down any machine currently. And one is noise removal, so that's my go-to right away. Just run basic noise removal. Can it play it back? And it still couldn't. So that was the, that, that that was the like, okay, well, I, I can see it got this much better, but we're still missing those those really big uh, challenges for it. So um, unfortunately, no, there was no. Big surprises, just a nice, a nice spec bump. Yeah, uh, like, like the olden days, it's it's a bump and um, a good one, but uh, nothing dramatic. And not to go to bat for Apple, but like, how much of that is just kind of DaVinci's fault too, in terms of the optimization for the, you know, I'm sure it's going to do that on the best mat or the best PC that you're running too, in terms of specs. It's probably still yeah. going to tear that apart. It's just kind of the the deal with that specific test there um so and i'm sure apple's not just creating a computer specifically for that reason but um no but but it is i do have to keep moving the yeah the, te- the benchmarks I mean, of the test because the way I, I like to try to do mostly real world tests and when you do synth- anything synthetic or anything that gives you a number it's i mean it's a lot easier to find the difference because you're like okay here's the two numbers here's the percentage of difference between them um but in real world tests, sometimes it's so much more like, uh, does it feel different? And yeah. now that all the basics are taken care of, it's like, I got to do the more extreme things to push it further. And it's funny. It's like, it, so it starts making me wonder, like, as we have this headroom, which happens occasionally, right? Where a computer can do a little bit more than standard common workflows. We fill it, right? So we used to edit 1080 video and then now we edit 4k. Um, I don't know what's going to fill that space next. That's why I was talking about AI a second ago is there's, I think, going to be an explosion of tools. The thing is, most of them don't seem to run locally right now. There's only a few useful ones. I think one of the most interesting is Topaz Labs, um, which will you know process uh, photos and videos, especially the video stuff is pretty intensive. But like, how will we fill this extra space? What are we going to do with the abilities of you know the M2 Max and stuff? Because I don't know what to do with it right now. I just got these processors just sitting around, not working half the time. So, yeah, I'm going to be honest. I um, am working on a M2 Max MacBook Pro video right now, and I don't know what to do with it. I don't. <laughs> I don't want to do a benchmark. Yeah. I don't want to do. Have, but... Yeah, it's it's. I just don't know what to do with it. Like I I I almost. I have an idea, and I'm, I might just do it this way. Um, I don't want to spoil it for anyone if anyone cares. But, um, yeah, I mean, unless you have, like, a maxed-out version and you're going against, you know, something else, like the studio maybe, that might make for an interesting comparison maybe. But, like, I think people just kind of want us to be like, hey, what, how's the laptop from a normal everyday? And it's good. Like, I don't know what to tell you. It's good. Like, it's fine. It's great. I don't know how else to make that interesting. It's really good. It's really good. Yeah. yeah. Like I don't, and I don't know how else to make yeah. that interesting without boring benchmarks and benchmarks are helpful, but it just, that becomes the, the, the point of the videos because like, we don't know what else to do with it to show you. Right. Well, or just, just complaining. I mean, that's another way to yeah. like, okay, how do I make the video interesting? Like, okay, I'll just find a bunch of problems. And I do think yeah. we end up nitpicking or, I mean, I, I, I have to do this sometimes. I'm like, I, the, the overall review, especially of these new ones, I mean, it is just so overwhelmingly positive. Like the objective thing to say about these new computers is that they are, we're in the best place we've ever been for personal computers. Like what, whichever one you buy, it's never been this good. There's never been so few compromises, but I can't just say that over and over uh, and like re- retain any credibility, I feel like. So I have to like discover something that is a, a challenge with it. And those things are just such small details. Not much is really getting in the way of important workflows. One that keeps coming up, so I'll bring it up anytime I have a chance. AirDrop is still so flaky and I rely on it so hard. Like AirDrop is critical to like every workflow, especially on every every set that I've been on. Most people have an iPhone and we're throwing around files back and forth. Like it's a big part of just showing other people stuff or like you know passing around behind the scenes shots or whatever or uh you know even more commercial stuff is happening on iphones and you send the files airdrop is still not reliable i I think i'd say about 
you know, works maybe 70% of the time, sometimes 60% of the time. And then there's no explanation of why it just totally flakes out. So that's not even a hardware issue, but that's the stuff that it comes down to for me is like these details. That's what's getting in my way now. What's the deal with AirDrop? Like, does it not connect or is it failing midway or is it, is it not, is it not, not, not you guys? I, I mean, well, b- all of the above most, most of all that it doesn't connect. And I will say like when I, I think the the time I tweeted about this right before a keynote was the most engagement I've had on anything I've ever tweeted. I was like, I hope they announced that they fixed airdrop. And it was like, everyone went crazy for it. So I I think it's not just me, but Hartley, do you have any major issues? Um, Well, I don't use airdrop a whole lot, but I do recognize these issues when I, when I do, Um, you know, maybe, maybe, uh, maybe two out of five times I have some sort of issue with it. So I think that's, that's quite a lot. Um, but I, I imagine if you're if you're using AirDrop, you know, ten times a day, then that is really going to start to get you down. So what's funny is I don't know I do. when. I don't know, like I know when things are an issue, but like I don't know. They don't inconvenience if they don't inconvenience inconvenience me enough to make it like a focal point of my memory that I just the only issue that I I've noticed that really bothers me, and I think it's been fixed because I haven't noticed it recently. But I used to do this a lot where I would go to AirDrop something. And it would, I don't remember which way it was done. I think it's through Finder if I like right clicked and and shared that way. It would get stuck. And I'd have to basically force quit Finder in order to send anything. Like if I tapped on anyone, nothing would happen. Um, And it would basically get stuck. And that airdrop window wouldn't go away. And I couldn't get rid of it no matter what I did. I'd have to force quit the whole thing and relaunch that. Um, And then, yeah, every once in a while, I'll I'll click on somebody. Go ahead. Oh, just I'll point out why it came to mind as well. So a specific bug that has happened on multiple machines that are like not even connected to it, no relation between these machines. And it's happening to me right now that uh, (laughs) I canceled an airdrop yesterday and it just keeps reactivating and popping up. So while I'm talking to you guys, I have the airdrop Uh, notification going off in my ear for something that it's not being resent. The computers are- See, I've never come across that. closed. It's coming from a MacBook Pro that is not on. And it just keeps popping up. That's annoying. Um, So things like that just drives me really crazy. Yeah. Maybe someone's just randomly trying to send you something. You have like (laughs) a bunch of people nearby. They have, yeah, they they have my avatar. So uh, 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 hey, man, trolling bots are bots are crazy these days. Um, All right. So the last thing I do want to bring up then, because we've spent a majority of this episode on Max, rightfully so. Um, but I do want to briefly touch on, and I know you said you're not a big rumors guy, so we'll we'll fill you in a little bit and stop me if you are sure. aware. Um, well, actually, Hartley's really good at this. I also try to stay away from rumors as much as possible, um, and I'm just kind of in my silo of making videos about what's happening right now. But we are expecting some big camera improvements to the iPhone 15, and that's Hartley helped me here, the periscope lens, and then just new yes. lenses in general. Uh, and then new Sony sensors. There's new uh, Sony sensors. So yeah, those will be the the two main upgrades that we're looking at. So what 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 are you hoping from a, a photographer standpoint? Like what what's on your wish list for the next iPhone? I mean, I don't think the sensors are holding us back right now. Um, I'm sure a lot of people have seen Marquez's recent video talking about the issues with iPhone photography. I think he's describing it accurately. Um, what I find to be the biggest problem with the iPhone 14 Pro, anyway, is that w- when I shoot in RAW. The photos look amazing, and it's not the it's not the that you. The problem right now isn't that we need more detail; it's that we need less sort of synthetic detail. It's it's being heavily sharpened, like uh, just so much. I had to edit a. We were tra- traveling for a while in Asia, and I was putting together a blog post for my wife of um, iPhone photos mixed in with large sensor photos as well. So we had three different cameras and trying to get them all to match. And the thing that makes the iPhone photos jump out is they just look crazy over sharpened. Like, I mean, beyond like so far beyond the bigger sensors. And when I've done tests shooting raw and comparing it side by side, you can get them to just match. Like it's incredible actually how close they can look and that it really responds in the same way to the full frame mirrorless. I mean, obviously not the same level of detail and stuff, but, or sorry, level of dynamic range, there's more noise, but in good situations, you can effectively have them match. When you shoot directly out of the iPhone right now, that is not happening. And I think most people don't notice because on a phone, screen on a smaller screen it does look great and that's what it's really optimized for that's the 
the type of sharpening. Like when you sharpen an image, there's different ways to do it. Some are optimized for print, some are optimized for small viewing. You would sharpen it differently for a thumbnail. Uh, depends how s the size that you're going to see it at. And once you blow up a phone photo on a, any monitor, it is over sharpened for that viewing size. So I think we need to find a way to basically just scrape away that extra kind of sludgy processing look and, and get to what is actually being provided by the sensors. And especially for video, because in, in photo, we can at least shoot raw and we can process that away, but there's no way around it with video, uh, you know, even shooting ProRes, whatever you do, the giveaway that it's iPhone footage is it's too sharp in, in, a, in a fake way. So that's the biggest thing that, that I'd hope for. That Periscope lens would be nice. I mean, I reviewed the Pixel 7 this year. I hadn't reviewed a Pixel for a little while, but that zoom lens is so really good. solid on it. Yeah, it's, yeah. it's excellent. Um, so it, that would be nice, but it's not the most important to me. Getting that one X, that main lens just really dialed in. Uh, that's, that's the most important thing. I used to like, I used to commend like Apple for, you know, being a more neutral shot and like, it wasn't oversaturated. Like you'd get Samsung phones and they might be a little too much in the saturate. And then I've done the whole live photo thing where you like tap on the live photo and you notice that it looks totally different. And then when you let go, it's like all the all the stuff that they've done in the background just came in. You're like, wait, what? That doesn't look anything like what the actual <laughs> little video portion was. What happened? Um, I don't know how many of you guys have run into that, but. There also seems to be a bit of a. I don't, I don't know if I can call it a bug, but a, a weirdness I can't track down when it happens. I notice it on the uh, iPhone Pro Max and not the iPhone, uh, iPhone Pro, um, that it will have a really aggressive snap into uh, like an over HDR look after taking the photo that, you know, it seems like that's, it's, it's the same way that Deep Fusion has always been. When you take a Deep Fusion shot, you'll see it yeah. snap a second or two afterwards. But it's like, it's aggressive. It's like the exposure changes. It makes the whole image brighter. And I didn't find that on the 13 and it doesn't happen all the time. So I haven't included it in any videos because like I can't, I don't know, I don't know how to recreate it often enough. Mm -hmm. And I also don't really know what it is. I don't know what's happening. So there's a little bit of weirdness going on in there, but that all ties into the sort of over-processing story. I, I just want them to sort of simplify um, the look of the image, like make it look a little more raw or uh, uh, I don't know, neutral. So do you think that that's a result of um, year upon year upon year of iterating on um, the way that um, iPhone photos are processed? Or is it is it an intentional um, uh, vision of how iPhone photos should look for optimized for a small screen? Because I, I wonder if um, it's more that the hardware is, has got away from the software um, and that you know, when we were looking at um, 12 megapixel um, lenses, go 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 back to uh, uh, sensors um, like, um, I don't know when it was the first 12 megapixel, like with the iPhone uh, 6S, and that's when there were the first live photos. And that was one of the, the jumps um, in in the, uh, the iPhone's photography capabilities years ago. And of course, all of these things have been layered up year after year, you know, deep fusion one year, adding more iPhone lenses. And I wonder if it's just... Uh, if it's just the compounding effect of that and how Apple can really row that back. Um, or I don't know. I mean, maybe these things are really uh, heavily, heavily differ from device to device. I mean, there's certainly different versions of smart HDR, um, for example. So um, what are your thoughts about that, Tyler? Yeah, yeah. I I, I do think it's just the hardware and software kind of getting out of sync, which I, it's going to be challenging for them going forward too when there's a different sensor on the Pro versus the iPhone 14. I always loved that when I previously could review the the regular iPhone and the Pro that I could say like, look, these are the same cameras, like almost, right? Except for you're missing or gaining some lenses, but they're effectively the same. And I would actually do my iPhone camera reviews as one chunk. Like I wouldn't separate the the Pro review from the regular one. And now it's really, it's really hard. Like I, do, I don't love the idea where people with an iPhone Pro are going to have just images that look completely different from people that have a regular iPhone. I, I, th that doesn't seem like the ideal wor world to me, but it also seems sort of necessary to fix those pro images right now. Um, so I, I don't know, maybe they can strike a balance of um, finding the, the software optimization that looks great on both kinds of sensors, or there's you know, a sensor that scales better between the two of them. But 
I don't know. It's a bit. It's a bit of speculation on like where the fix for this problem is. I know anytime I've talked to people from Apple that work in the photo world, like they, they have they share my taste of like what the priority should be and what a good image is. So I I do trust that they are targeting the right things, and I'm sure they're just as aware of what they're not achieving. Uh, I think a common example of that is we've always got those crazy halos in night photos that have been yep. like the, the ghosting has been us for a while now and uh because i hear about the comments a lot like i'll i'll mention it in the reviews and then the comments are like yeah but these like i can't believe they haven't fixed that there's nobody more aware of these ghosting issues than apple like they know and i'm sure it drives their engineers crazy because like they're great photographers like they they love a good camera and they see these issues but it doesn't mean that there's an easy solution um so i don't know I, i'm sure they see these same processing issues that i'm talking about and i just i hope they have some answers lined up so looking at that um, telephoto camera specifically that we're expecting to get later this year, what would you want to see from that? Um, what level of opt uh, optical zoom would be would be preferable? And um, how we're expecting this to specifically be on the highest end models, so the Pro Max, or if it's chain, if the name changes to Ultra, and that will be a you know Apple's first periscope camera. So what will that what will that camera need to do um, to keep you happy, basically? I just think they really have to prioritize quality. Um, you know, there's been this with with a lot of the uh, Android phones, this um, feeling of like, well, you know, the, the quality on the zoom is mediocre. You lose a lot of dynamic range. There's a lot more noise, but look how far you can see. And then all it's really good for is sort of proving that something happened, right? Because there's a difference between photography that looks aesthetically pleasing, like like nice photography and just documenting just showing like this this was here i was here yeah. and those longer zoom lenses a lot of the time that's kind of all they're really good for the pixel 7 did improve that a bit actually i, I think we're kind of there but that that's what i want them to prioritize i actually don't care about how far it is i don't need it to be five times you know on uh, my regular photo cameras like 100 millimeters is is pretty far like i don't need 200 millimeter or 300 millimeter equivalents on, on my phone. I'm, I'm really comfortable with it just being, just give me, extend that reach a little bit. Like, you know, get, getting to maybe 4X would be fine as long as it continues to kind of match the other cameras so that as you zoom in and out, you don't see a big jump in quality. That That's just what I want them to focus on most. And I don't, I'm not, you know, an engineer of any kind, so I don't know where that balance is going to be. I just, I hope that's something they think about. And uh, just something to the last question uh, before it slips my mind, I really want them to also think a little bit more about um, exposure stability and white balance as a professional. So I've, I've been shooting a lot more jobs on my phone. Huge problem is that the, the Apple camera app is the best camera app, especially for video. Um, unfortunately, others, so like Filmic Pro, I go to when I can, but it doesn't use the same stabilization. So you get a visible delay in a lot of the stabilization methods. And the exposure also isn't as flexible. Like when you tap on screen, it doesn't do the same dynamic range adjustments as the default camera app. You can end up with clipped highlights in Filmic or Moment or any third-party app that you don't get in Apple's camera app. And because of that, it's like, well, I got to use the camera app. But I can't lock exposure or white balance separately. So if I'm just like walking around filming anything, I'll just see them like sh like going up and down. Like skies will be like not flickering, but there's a little bit of like dancing. Of it's like oh, a cloud came in, so the expo so the phone tries to lift and drop it. Um, or especially white balance is much worse. Where as you look around a room and there's like say a, a wooden wall or something something that's very skin colored, it will sh it'll like shift to being very blue for a moment and then it'll come back to yellow. All of this just looks terrible. Like it looks it looks really bad and. Uh, what at the very least what i'd hope for from a professional mode is like look just make it all more stable don't change throughout the shot so much even if i can't override it manually um so that's actually just a software thing it's not very, it's not very advanced really it's more about some design decisions but it would make a huge difference for prof difference for professionals i yeah i mean i agree with everything I don't really know that I have any huge wish wish list. I just I agree with you on the saturation and, and the sharpening thing. It just it, we need to like need to take it a step back. But uh, yeah, I, I think yeah, just just a, just a little bit. Um, but is there anything else that you wanted to add before we wrap up on either the Macs or the iPhone photography that we just talked mm -hmm. about? I could ramble on forever. So it depends if you if you if you 
prompt me or not, then uh, then I'll go on. But it sounds like I'm going to lose my voice first. But <laughs> well, yeah, we try to keep things at about an hour anyway. So, uh, um, all right. Well, this is your time. Um, I think plenty of people have seen your work, but I highly recommend everyone to go check out the uh, the latest videos here on on the new Max. They were great. I did watch. I mean, we we ask you about it, but like I. I watched them, so I wanted you to know that they were great. <laughs> the whole running through the timeline. It was crazy to see. Thanks so much. Yeah, of course. It was crazy to see the uh, the the difference in the in the Max chip there, just being able to shred through it while the M1 Max was like, eh, it was not able to get. So definitely people go check it out. Um, but is there anywhere else or anything else that you'd like to, to plug? Now is your time. Yeah, if people listen to podcasts, um, the Stallman oh, podcast yes. is mine. And I just had... Um, the VP of hardware engineering on to, to talk about Apple's process designing these new M2 processors. So, uh, you know, it's nice getting those little behind the scenes chats. And then I also have other YouTubers and people in the Apple world and creator world. That's usually what I'm talking about is like cameras and Apple. Those, those are the big things. So, yeah, uh, the podcast is a, is a good one. Definitely go check it out. Thanks, Tyler. Appreciate it. Awesome. Thanks, guys.